Hello and welcome once again to this edition of Political Profundity. John Guzan and Karen Weil. Hello, Karen. Hi there. Well, we have another interesting day and we uh, seem to be hitting things right at the perfect time lately. Um, uh, the last time I think it was when Roger Stone got indicted and now we're doing a podcast um, about five to ten minutes after um, it is announced that Robert Mueller has um, delivered his final report or at least a report of sorts to um, Attorney General William Barr. Um, but we're also going to be talking about a few other things, um, including um, the WhatsApp and Jared Kushner. Um, uh, maybe talking about the current um, uh, discussions to change the way the president is elected, and maybe outdoing the uh, getting rid of the electoral college. Um, talking a little bit about that um, uh, college admission scandal. Um, we're going to dip our toe into the English Channel or around there with the Brexit goings on. Um, we want to get to the New Zealand shooting um, as well. So, Karen, let's start. Let's just jump right in with Robert Mueller because that's obviously the biggest news of the day. Might be the biggest news of the year or the decade. Um, the report has been delivered, um, I think, in uh, some of the information. Um, you know, Barr says that maybe he'll even have um, something to give to folks by the weekend. Um, it seems like um, maybe we're going to hear some some information we haven't heard in the next few days. Well, so it seems, um, you know, for, for months now we've been hearing speculation that this report's going to drop any day, and it didn't. Um, in fact, just not too long ago, Congress had funded uh, Mueller's office through September. So, but if he's done, he's done. And, uh, you know, if you're already looking, watching social media, especially Twitter right now, it, you know, it's, it's a frenzy. And it's all over the cable news networks um, about what this may say and how much it may truly implicate Donald Trump. And I, you know, I, I've said this all along. Until we all get to read this report fully, we have no idea what findings Mueller's team has come up with. And and I get it that the job of the cable news world and and others is to speculate endlessly about what this means, but. Again, I'm going to have to see the report for myself. Uh, you know, I, for example, I'll just give a hot take here from Dave Weigel, who's a noted political reporter, saying that the Mueller report is more dem- problematic for Democrats than Republicans. We know what Republicans will do unless the report is devastating, defend the president. But these have been punting questions about impeachment, et cetera, until the report was done. Well, that, that's irrelevant. Yes, of course, Democrats have been cautious about it for, for good reason, although I do think Nancy Pelosi's recent comments were not helpful, and she should not be making those kinds of statements. Uh, we're, oh, we're just we're going to leave it alone. You know, this is not 2006. Donald Trump is not George W. Bush. And, uh, that, again, that was a, a strategic mistake on her part. But understandably, most have said, let's wait to see what this report says. And meanwhile, we're already having committee hearings in the House on wrong, alleged wrongdoings by this administration, of which, where do you even begin? Uh, you know, it's like an alphabet soup of, of how many terrible things these people have done or accused of doing. Uh, just a mere incompetence in which most of Trump's administration does its job. That's another matter altogether. Mm. Um, so I just, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. It could totally exonerate him, although I wouldn't be willing to bet any money on Vegas, uh, in Vegas on that. It could state the worst that he indeed knowingly worked with a foreign adversary to swing a presidential election in his favor. It could be somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. It could claim it could you know make allegations that Trump's son or perhaps others in his inner circle were the ones doing this, and Trump may not have known anything. And here I go, somewhat speculating. We right. just don't know. Right, right. You know, it did seem like you know you know talking about you know going back to Nancy Pelosi and her statement. Um, maybe a week or two ago, it did seem like it was almost just uh, political posturing that the argument at the time was, oh, they just want to impeach me. And by coming out and saying that, it kind of negated that. It seemed to me, because she did leave herself an out to say that, you know, if if the um, evidence was, was great enough, then they would go that route. So it did just seem to me to be more political posturing. It, it um, But at the same time, you know, we all know that what might happen, it might actually strengthen his position 
um, if you go into a situation where you um, um, impeach him and then he doesn't get convicted in the Senate. And, you know, I, you know that, that, that's another thing that, that, you know, probably should be reiterated again is how, how the whole process works. But beyond that, um, if that doesn't happen, if he doesn't get convicted after he's impeached, it, it might embolden more folks to 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 you know come around or call it a witch hunt or call it this or that. So it does seem like um, even what Comey's saying and what we've mentioned on this podcast, maybe the best thing to happen to Donald Trump is for him to lose in a landslide in 2020 and then have to sit on that dais while uh, another president takes office. Um, so you know that all being said, it is going to be very interesting to see how much um, Barr releases um, initially, how much there has to be teeth pulling to get information out if he doesn't release the whole thing. Um, and, in, you know, my personal opinion is eventually we do see it all and we do see it all in the next six months. But, uh, you know, in the next week or two, I'm, I'm not so sure. What's your feeling on what he's going to release Obvious, you know, with the obvious caveat being um, national security um, and those kinds of, you know, maybe uh, sourcing that they want to redact. But we mean the general gist of it, not just a paragraph that says Trump is clear. Look at the rest of the indictments. Thank you. Right. And and I've also seen a report from Marshall Cohen, who is with, um, sorry, he's with CNN. So he's a legit source saying that Barr has to notify Congress if anyone that the Department of Justice overruled any new requests, such right. as a subpoena to interview Trump. Although we know, you know, Trump sat there all the time saying he'd love to talk to Mueller, and yet he never did, because we know he'd lie, and he'd perjure himself. And Trump's attorneys, I suppose, were smart enough to tell him, you're not talking to Mueller, you will go to prison. Or at the very least, might may very well be impeached and even removed by the Senate, so shut the F up. Um, Barr told the Congress today that there were no such interests, no such instances during the special counsel's investigation. And after all, Mueller's bosses were, you know, Rod Rosenstein, Matt Whitaker, and then Barr. Of course, Matt Whitaker, I think, you know, very disgraceful, embarrassing, (laughs) excuse me, tenure, uh, you know, remains to be seen if Barr is actually going to do the right thing here. I, you know, there's been a lot of unease with him, including in some Republican circles, because as it's been reported, he and Bob Miller are actually close friends. That you know, that may not have anything to do with what he finally decides, but still, uh, you've got a personal angle there, and that that complicates it as well. Another uh, thing I'm saying here that Miller's confidential report is very comprehensive. A DOJ official says. Um, so you know, we're, this is going to explode, in my opinion, through over the next few days. There, you know, there will be the kind of tangled frenzy. And whatnot. Um, and again, I would advise everybody to take anything they're saying with a grain of salt as well. Read this report. As you might recall, for those who would be old enough listening, 20, about 21 years ago, the Star Report was online and uh, we read in unpleasant detail about Bill Clinton's actions with Monica Lewinsky. And of course, Ken Starr, who's turned out to be a disgraceful partisan hack on every level you can imagine, and in fact has his own skeletons in his closet, i.e. Baylor University, just to remind anybody about what he is. Uh, and, you know, but that was clear. So, and it even and even Trump himself, and perhaps because under some illusion that he's going to be completely cleared by this, he says he wants the whole thing public. Um, so, right, I would just say again, let's let's wait and see what this report truly says then the ball will be in the Democrats' court. I mean, look, Republicans, no matter what, given how enslaved they are to Trump and his fanatical base, they're not going to do the right thing. There might be a few who will in the House, maybe one or two in the Senate, specifically Cory Gardner and Susan Collins, both of whom are facing very difficult re-elections, with Gardner now the most vulnerable senator in 2020. Um, but that's, that's just where it stands. Well, let me get back to my... One thing about Bob Mueller, the man has a scrupulous reputation, and I I can't imagine his office not, (laughs) sorry everybody, not, you know, making sure every I is dotted and every T is crossed before they have a report, especially if it makes blockbuster allegations that the President of the United States, even though Trump is not a legitimate title holder in any way, shape, or form, 
may have indeed worked with a foreign adversary. And when you that mean legitimate, be, obviously you mean in his conduct, because obviously he, he was elected by the Electoral College. We can get to that later. Barely. Um, but let, let, let me get back to the question I asked um, you. Did I not answer it? Sorry. I, I, no, I no, no. Well, I'm, well, I'm not sure. May, you know, maybe you did, but maybe I just missed it. But I, you know, you know, quickly, um, do you think that Barr is releasing a nearly complete report this weekend um, within the next four days, or does there, you know, is there hand wringing, pulling of strings, getting more information out um, through Congress, through other ways, or is this? as transparent as uh, it could be early? Uh, again, you know, I'm sorry. If you have the Trump administration involved, you're not going to have anything by the book. I, let's not kid ourselves. For all that his talk about everything should be public, you know damn well right now, I'm sure. I, well, Trump, he's gone over to Florida again to waste more of our money playing golf for the 10,000th time. But uh, I'm sure that in his inner circle, there's got to be a lot of unease right now and no doubt, I, I will not be surprised. I might be proven wrong that if, you know, we hear later that some people in his inner circle are pressuring Barr to not release all of this. So I'll be, I'll be pleasantly shocked if somehow the Trump administration actually tries to do the right thing and just let the, the public see this entire report. Yeah, you know, it does uh, seem like, though, that at this point, um, you know, Trump seems very nervous, um, you know, as as we know from the tweet storms that were going on this weekend. And I don't know what's being shared with him or how much he knows what's going on on details on that Mueller's working on it and wrapping it up or whether he has any information. But it doesn't seem like Barr is uh, or would be one of those guys that's really sharing things um, with Trump that goes outside um, of the realm of what the attorney general is supposed to be doing, how he's supposed to be dealing with the president, especially when there's investigations for him. It does seem like, you know, whether his legal arguments on protecting the executive branch are are, are maybe more um, um, uh, stronger than, 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 than you or I might want to, to, to make those decisions. It does seem, though, that he is trying to have that separation between DOJ and the executive and, and the White House. So, you know, it does right. seem to me like there's a little bit of a difference, but that it will be up to bar and it really will be that if there was any interference, we'd hear that as well. Well, of course, we'll leak out just like pretty much everything about this administration's uh, you know, skullduggery has le has leaked out more or less. <laughs> skullduggery. Again, I, I, I have mixed emotions on William Barr. I, you know, yes, he's a smart attorney, but he also, this is a man who made, you know, was was responsible for not total fully, but played a role in the pardons that were George H. W. Bush gave to you know key figures in the Iran Contra scandal back uh. in nineteen. 92. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, those of us alive remember when that was a huge scandal that, well, I don't think it was, you know, the Reagan administration was as in much danger as the Trump one is, but still. So I, it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it, he seems like a very cagey person. Uh, and I, I just, you know, it, if he cares about his office, he cares about this country's existence and its rule of law, he needs to make the whole thing public. Let the chips fall where they may. If Again, if it exonerates Donald Trump, okay. If it is the worst, well, you know, then they're just going to have to face the consequences of that. But, you know, I want to remind people out there, Donald Trump might not have been dealing with this had he not fired James Comey. Um, but, you know, you know, we hadn't talked about this yet because this happened like right before we we're going to start this podcast. But I would suggest that maybe um, when whenever it is what is made public, you know, the initial thing, whether it's all of it or, or just part of it, um, you know, maybe we should do a, a special podcast at some point um, early next week just on on the results of um, on the Mueller report and maybe do a five points on that or something like that. Um, right. You know, uh, are we good to go to uh, talking about son-in-law Jared and his WhatsApp? Yes. Speaking of another, you know, incompetent person, <laughs> let's go for it. 
Well, why don't you lay out this story? Because to me, it seems um, like, you know, I know, you know, you want to drain the swamp, but, um, you know, using WhatsApp and some other things, um, you know, we know that the everything that people do at, in the White House is 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 should be, um, you know, preserved for posterity so that we can see what goes on. It's the people's work. Um, we all understand that there needs to be national security, but that stuff is usually held so that we can find it out at some point in the future and create history books that hopefully are correct. Um, so just by him going out of this and, and then, and then just, I guess maybe on, on, on the light that it shines on the hypocrisy of complaining about Hillary's private email server, um, ad infinitum. And then, um, just because it's new technology doesn't make it any less, um, uh, you know, there. And, you know, the last thing I want to say is, we know that Colin Powell had a private email server. A lot of people, it was the, basically what secretaries of state used to do, um, especially in the early days of email. This is, you know, when you're calling the, uh, the pot calls the kettle black so many times, and then you just keep, um, uh, you know, darkening yourself. Um, uh, it's a problem. Um, it seems really disingenuous. It seems not above boards. And, um, you know, w- w- what do you think ultimately? It seems like, uh, you know, Kushner's been like the uh, Teflon uh, son in law, um, and it seems like this might continue because of the attention that's going to be put on Trump probably over the next month or two. Well, of course. I mean, again, although if you've read some you know, piece that was recently written in Vanity Fair, Trump really has wanted to get rid of him and Ivanka from the White House roles because they have, you know, they just further you know, just allude to how corrupt his administration is, but they won't leave. But, you know, Democrat Elijah Cummings, who's chairman of the House Oversight Committee, has said that basically his, you know, Jared Kushner has been using WhatsApp for official business, which automatically just seems like a highly irresponsible thing to do. Um, And even more interesting, apparently, according to a BBC article, that Kushner's lawyer, Abby Lowell, really hasn't, Denied it per se. Um, he, he just uh, he sent screenshots of his WhatsApp messages to the White House email account or the National Security Council. According to them, they've been following up with the record. Um, now, Laurel wasn't saying whether Kushner's used the WhatsApp to share cl- classified information, but you know we've seen on numerous reports that he was doing a back channel with the Russians right after Trump's electoral college quote unquote victory. Um, and that in itself is, is, you know, again, highly unsettling. You know, what on earth are you doing that for? If, you know, if you're, you should be helping your father-in-law make a legitimate transition into this office. And so I, and of course there's also, and to bring up this, this, uh, unpleasant topic, there's still questions about what kind of role Kushner played in terms of the Saudi Arabian government killing Jamal Khashoggi. Which again, we've seen some highly, highly disconcerting reports on that, which Kushner has never really been able to answer. So again, you, you know, you're talking about somebody who comes from a, a family that has its share of legal problems, and and frankly, you know, another thing aside, Jared Kushner has done nothing of any merit. I suppose you could argue he's had some role in prison reform, although he, I, you know, he didn't do any real work on that. Um, well, you know, and that was also a democratic talking what? point, I think. And that's the other thing about everybody, you know, some folks will give credit for this criminal justice reform to either Trump or Kushner. But it's been something that 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 members, yeah, Democratic members of Congress have been trying to do for years. And until finally, you know, you know, Kushner and then eventually Trump decided that they were going to go along with it. Republicans steadfastly were against it. And, and so, you know. You can give credit somewhere, I guess, but I wouldn't necessarily give it to them on that issue. Give it credit for what? I'm sorry, I didn't understand. For the criminal justice reform, you know, it, it, right. it no, had I'm been something I that had been, yeah. You know, no, his, right. his, his efforts in that, I think, were minimal at best. Well, I and thought he was going to bring um, a peace to the Middle East, though. That's that's. His... Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about you, John, but I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing a Saudi Arabian government, which now thinks it has can commit any kinds of crimes with impunity. I'm seeing an Iranian government that, it, you know, will not stand by idly if we decide to invade its country. And I despise the Iranian regime. Let me make that clear, as most of us do. Uh, we've seen Iraq, which is still 
not, Paul. Uh, we're seeing still a mess in Syria. You know, Donald Trump has done nothing to improve the situation over there. We're seeing, and we're even seeing in this, the Trump administration really interfering directly with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's election. And this is a guy who's in serious trouble for corruption. Um, you know, and the U.S. has no business getting involved like that. But we know why Trump is doing it, because it carries favor with the evangelical right in this country. It is beyond irresponsible, beyond sick. Um, and it certainly, it doesn't, I don't think in the long run, it really does the people of Israel who deserve better than this any good either. Yeah, no, I um, completely agree with you. And, you know, I think the the uh, inciting of the Israeli um, uh, attack side of their government, the one that just wants um, complete hegemony over the whole region, um, is, uh, you know, one of the worst things that, that could continue and one of the saddest days, I think, ever. And the saddest day for Mideast peace uh, happened when Rabin was was murdered. And, um, you know, to me, he's, he's, he's the... the Pinnacle, and if you could get somebody that had his same political, um, you know, tendencies, um, then th- that's the solution I- in Israel. To me, is a Rabin right. clone who, un- un- unfortunately, was assassinated in 1995. That's yeah. the solution to Mideast peace. To me, is finding another well, Rabin. Right, and I again, I just Kushner is is simply there's there's just I mean you know we talked about this before that this man was denied a security clearance originally. Trump overrode that, broke the law by, by doing it, uh, more or less, or at least violated serious, you know, ethics laws over it for both he, for both Kushner and his Standards, wife, yeah, you know, daughter. it's in the same way the president can't break that law because he's allowed to decide who has, who has that or not. Um, but like you said, it is just in a explosion of the standardized norms that we used to have that to let the independent people decide and then you go along with it as president um so right well my apologies if i got that wrong no i just wanted to make it clear he didn't break any laws because he's the one who really determines that i was wrong on that i'm sorry um nevertheless you again let's i hate this to play this what about game or or what if, but we know damn well if, if a president hillary clinton had tried any of these things and had her son in law Doing what Kushner has done, we would be in full-scale civil war at this point. The GOP would be going ballistic 24-7, and for good reason, might I add, because I wouldn't want Hillary Clinton doing that. I wouldn't want her son-in-law in charge of Middle Eastern peace when he has no experience in that department. It would be unacceptable. Um, so I guess, you know, we're just we're going to have to wait and see. We, we say that phrase a lot, don't we, about uh-huh. what the House Committee finds on you know, how Kushner has been using what's happened, what he's revealed. Certainly the Trump administration will do what, everything it can to stonewall the House getting useful information on it. So um, I just, I, you know, it's just yet another example of how sleazy and how just completely disrespectful people in the Trump administration are of our norms and our rules. So let's go from the um, the WhatsApp. Let's jump um, right. To, you know, I want to kind of skip over Electoral College. Let's take on that after this because I think you know we go from the um, you know the, the the spoiled Jared Kushner to um, the um, the college admissions scandal that happened um, ensnared yeah. several wealthy people, obviously, because, um, you know, uh, people who are, are regular middle class people can't afford to bribe colleges in order to or, or coaches or uh, academic, uh, you know, folks. Um, you know, the you know, maybe the same thing that uh, happened to uh, Donald Trump, why why he got to go to UPenn, um, you know, donations usually go a long way. Um it was a very interesting, uh, I think, a decision from the Justice Department to go after this, which, again, you know, supposedly came up um, just uh, by happenstance. They were investigating something else, and then they ended up finding out about this guy, and then they went um, down for it, and he basically sold out all these people that were paying him money. Um very crazy. We kind of know that this is going on, right? We alluded to it probably happened to Trump, probably happened to thousands and thousands of other uh, very wealthy people to get their children into certain universities. Um, 
you know, what what is your feeling on it? Because at the same time, we know it's been happening forever. Um, you know, it's not going to stop. Obviously, it's something that's not very good um, just because, you know, we like to think that it's not just based upon uh, funds, but we all know how this world goes around. Um, does it actually end anything? Is this just a blip on the radar and then it goes back to business as usual here in a couple years? I'd like to think the answer is no to that because, I mean, you know, just a week or two ago, who would have us, who among us would have imagined Aunt Becky from Full House? <laughs> Lori Laughlin was going to be busted, taken to jail, and then, you know, bombed out. Or Felicity Huffman, who is a terrific actress, married to another great actor, William H. Macy. You know, she was nominated for an Oscar once. Uh, these are not people who are known for being troublemakers or, or bad behavior. I think in general they were held in high esteem by not only their peers, but just kind of Americans who follow, you know, entertainment. Uh, and I, re- I don't mean to highlight them because uh, people have fairly mentioned it's not, you know, they're not the only ones involved in this. We're talking about extremely wealthy people throughout this country. We're talking about a former University of San Diego uh, coach. So it's it's not just them, but because they're probably the most well-known in the public eye. But still, they're accused of breaking the law, uh, of, of you know, trying to work the system in a way that, that isn't ethical. I, from what, everything I understand, their children were not in on it. And certainly, you know, they should not necessarily be scorned for that. I mean, there shouldn't be the kind of scorn for them uh, you know, that there is for their parents who have deserved it. But I just, it's, it doesn't surprise you that this is happening, again, as you just said. It has been happening for a long time. Look, George W. Bush, with his grades, he would have never gotten into Yale were it not for the fact his father was a Yale, Yale graduate. Um, and he's not the only one. And I'm sure there are some Democratic politicians whose connections help their children to get into schools, although... You know, by all accounts, I had not heard that Chelsea Clinton didn't have the grades to make it to Stanford, and I forget which Obama daughter is going. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if it's Sasha really. I forget which one is older sometimes, but she's going to an Ivy League school. You would certainly hope that their parents didn't pull any strings, although I suspect if, if they had, we'd probably know that too. Well, you see, uh, and that's the thing and, I think that – I'm sorry, I'll let you finish. Well, I just – again, this has opened up. In terms of the last 10 years and the debate we've had about inequality in this country and how the power elite, now known per se as the 1%, have rigged the system enough where it's just so unfair and so tough for the, you know, most of the middle class, even never mind the lower middle class or the working poor, to get ahead. And it just completely violates what this country is supposed to be about. And I know we've already went through the looking glass on that, given who's in the White House that you work hard ethically on your own merits, that you don't cheat, that you play by the rules, and, you know, you can go far in this country. And we have seen good examples of that uh, over the years. Barack Obama and Bill Clinton, whatever their flaws, whatever their issues now, and the fact both men are very rich, but they both came from not exactly the most uh, esteemable of backgrounds and managed to end up being leaders of the free world. And certainly two more, far more popular presidents than Donald Trump will ever be. Uh, but, and, and same with some Republicans, as, you know, Ronald Reagan didn't come from the easiest background, and he became a noted Hollywood actor, governor of California, and still to this day one of the most popular presidents, and with a pretty successful tenure, give or take a few things. But, you know, obviously we've had many other presidents who come from wealthy families, John F. Kennedy, uh, the Bushes, uh, you know, I forgot to mention Jimmy Carter, another man who did not come from great means and became president. I, I just mentioned that for politics, but, you know, in all facets of American life, business or what have you, that's supposed to be the golden rule, that you legitimately earn it. And when we see this kind of, of just gross violation of that, people get angry. But I, I think it just it is like the Me Too movement. It is simply exposed now to the much wider world what many us many of us knew was going on already. I hope it will result not only in the people who are being accused of this being held accountable. I'm not saying they should all go rot in prison forever, but clearly there needs to be some type of you know 
reasonable punishment for all of them. You know, but, it, uh, an, an overhaul in our private and public education systems, so this kind of stuff doesn't happen very much. You know, it's very interesting, I think, that the, the thing that really catches me about this whole case is that it's one guy. Um, it's those people that dealt with him. And there must be a lot of people out there sweating because that's the first thing that, that, that really kind of fell out to me. Um, and it really was USC, um, a lot of West Coast stuff. We know that it probably happens in the Ivy League just as much or more. Um, and it's hard to tell. But if this is just one guy and his clients. Um, and I think a lot of people were sweating or saying, hey, I'm glad I didn't go with him, and I'm glad I went with somebody else. Um, and and the other angle that I think is important worth knowing, uh, noting to this whole idea is the way that they were done. It was either that somebody would take SAT, ACTs for people, um, and, or um, it was the way that there are um, exceptions made for grades based upon people's ability to play athletics. And so that they would say, well, you don't have to have the 4.2 GPA. If you have a 3.8, but you're going to be in the water polo team, that's good enough. And, and, and I think that those are the things that, you know, initially have to be focused on because that's where the issues come from. I think there was a um, there was one um, a young woman who was on a soccer team, and supposedly she just got a higher number jersey and sat on the sidelines, um, and was able to go to UCLA. Um, and and so, you know, I think that that's the important part. You know, scamming SAT, ACT, which could or could not happen all over the country on a regular basis. Um, that's basically you know fake ID, and you're able to take that thing. Um, and, or if you're administering the test, you just kind of take it for somebody if you're, if you're scamming that level. Um, but it's really that, that athletic, um, exception, which we all know that, you know, college athletics is, is the way that folks make money. It's kind of unregulated to a certain level, especially when you're talking about these non NCA really, you know, looked at sports. It's not high profile like basketball or football. Um, and so, you know, you got water polo team and the soccer team. Um, because these, these players don't go into a pipeline. They don't know about them. You know, if somebody, if I got signed to, you know, the Duke basketball team, people would realize I am not one, I'm not young enough, but say I was, I'm obviously not a division one basketball player. Uh, you know, you can't pull it off. You didn't, you didn't see it in the major sports. You saw it in these sideline, um, kind of extracurricular activities like water polo and soccer, which, uh, you know, I'm just kind of a, a soccer hater, but, um, it's it's you know it's it it goes in those kinds oh, of levels and I think that's the biggest thing to look at it um and, you know and that's what you know kind of got pointed out to me was how they were doing this and that it was really just a small slice of the pie um and and uh, you know again I think also that you know poor Lori Laughlin and and uh, um you know Felicity Huffman and I I mean that literally because it seems like you know they're being crucified for something that thousands of others have done and it's and uh and even in this case because they're the well-known names everybody talks about them too i'm not exonerating them for their actions at all because right. obviously no, what I, they did were I wrong totally agree. they're you know they because they again they're well-known entertainers and i i think just sort of the shock of learning that two people who by all accounts were law-abiding decent, responsible citizens. And especially Aunt Becky. I people. mean, the, the Aunt Becky really, thing, you know? Yeah, it, but it was just, they're kind of the convenient sort of, dare we say it, I'll say whipping girls, just because they are rich and glamorous and famous and all of that. It doesn't make them any more guilty than the other alleged perpetrators here. Um, it just tends to be our, our you know, celebrity-saturated culture that fixates on these things. So... It's just, again, there are a lot other bad actors here. Um, they're just the ones with the famous names. Now let's move on to the Electoral College. Um, there's been some discussion um, and some bandying about about um, getting rid of it and just doing it on popular vote. Obviously, that would have changed 2016. Um, some folks are saying uh, Democrats don't like the results. Now they want to change the rules. Um, it's, uh, it's more than that. And as, as we know, it's, this, this is, you know, us that have been following the news for 20, 30, 40 years, 
we know this is not a new argument. Um, just maybe now that we are where we are, um, there's greater um, uh, initiative to actually change it. Um, what are your feelings on it? Look, almost every other country on Earth has a, a popular vote. It doesn't have something based on, you know, like in Canada. It's not based on the province you live in or, uh, or, in, or in Mexico or anywhere else. It's based on just how many people vote, what's the majority of the vote. And, you know, originally, as we know, the Electoral College was set up by the founders to make sure smaller states uh, were not overlooked. Fair enough. I understand that. But I think, I think the bigger incentive for this now, and hate to bring up his name again, is Donald Trump's highly suspicious Electoral College win about three years ago. He won, what, three states by all of, oh, 1% each? And, you know, to this day, it's questionable if all votes were counted in Wisconsin or Michigan, maybe not even in Pennsylvania. Those, that, it, it just, it's almost impossible for a candidate to win that many states by that exact percentage. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, so I, I think along with the fact that you just, you know, you have, there are states in this country, and I am not minimizing their importance, and that they shouldn't have full representation, John, the city of Los Angeles has a greater population than, my goodness, I don't know how many plain states or, you know, Mountain West, uh, some in the South. And, you know, just there's a growing argument that, you know, that in, in bigger cities and, and in blue states, you know, does our vote really count? Uh, and then, of course, we know in the last election, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three-plus million Al Gore won the popular vote in 2000 by about 500,000. Uh, I mean, again, if Donald Trump had flat out won the popular vote and won the Electoral College by some massive number, which it wasn't, by the way, he was just warbling on about that the other day. And he, his, his Electoral College really was not that impressive. Um, I, I just think there's just a growing concern over this kind of skullduggery happening to affect the estate votes when it's it's not actually it's not actually reflective of where this nation is, and I realize doing the switch, which would I I think I, maybe I'm wrong, would take a constitutional change, and you know we know how hard that's going to be. Although there are states that are passing now their own laws that are now joining the compact in terms of sort of modifying the electoral college uh, to to change things, where the you know the overall popular vote winner would have to the electors would have to vote that person in. Um, but I, I just, I think the 2016 election was a terrible wake-up call for a lot of reasons. But, I, so, you know, I'm sorry. I've seen all the arguments against it, but I just think the Electoral College is an, is an outdated method. And I would say to people in some of the red states with the less populous, well, you know, you're living in a state that doesn't have that many people. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. And, you know, if you've got a state with 38 million people, if they decided to vote for the Republican, fine. If, or, but if they, you know, if you over have an, if you have an election of, say, 200 million voters, where 150 million vote for the Democrat, then, I'm sorry, folks, that should be the, the decision, not the kind of system we have right now. Because like so many of our governmental institutions, sadly, it seems like it's broken. Please excuse me. Well, you know, there does, you know, we know that, um, you know, that there probably was very, it, it would be very difficult in 1789 to try to uh, have um, votes counted, move through it all to be handled um, in the way that it was done to have like a national election. We know that technologically we've gone to a different place. Um, you know, the original plan that, you know, the Virginia plan in 1787, that was Congress would elect their president. Um, and, you know, they, they didn't want to go there because of the reasons of, uh, you know, the, the, you know, they wanted separation of power so that it didn't come out of the house. Um, but we're at the point, I think that, you know, there needs to be, you know, we know that, you know, you know, 200 years on 220, um, uh, 30, there needs to be some changes made. 
Um, and, you know, I think the Electoral College, you know, going away is one way to do it. But how, how we get to the next level, whether it's just a national election or not, um, I think, you know, you know makes sense. I, I, I do think we need to look at it. Um, the, the thing that always has been more important to me is what changed in the, with the 12th Amendment, which was where no longer you had a vice president that was a was the second place, um, uh, you know, uh, vote getter for president, uh, and that was done through the electoral college too. I think it showed the 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 problems with the electoral college, and that's why they changed the twelfth amendment. And it was a band aid more than anything else because it was done so soon. As we know, the twelfth amendment was only the second amendment to the constitution, and you know, I would love to see. Um, beyond a, 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 and maybe that's the compromise that we can get to in order to get the electoral college taken out of the um, equation, is if you make the person who comes in second place in the national vote to actually be uh, the vice president. And, you know, it, it brings that balance. It brings the president of the Senate um, to that, um, uh, you know, it, area it allows the the president um the vice president then to run the senate it gives a built-in balance um and you know it's, you know to me that has been you know one of the problems i think in our democracy trump lately has been saying that somebody hasn't been voted for um robert Mueller, but technically you know if you want you know i know you know technically folks will say that the vice president was voted for but we know full well that people weren't voting for Mike Pence. They were voting for Donald Trump. Um, and so, you know, just because someone appoints someone to be their running mate, um, to for them to potentially take over, uh, I don't think that we need to worry about, you know, the grand scheme that somebody who's elected from the other party, and if he's the next one to become president, then, the, you know, he might, you know, be up to some wrongdoing to be the president. You know, that just doesn't fly to me. Um, and I think it makes it a stronger case for what we need to actually do. So that's my take on it. Electoral college going away, I don't really think, you know, it matters one way or another. Um, I think, you know, these outlier elections can go one way or the other. Um, you know, playing electoral politics, I understand the idea of, of trying to get rural folks to have just as much of a say as somebody else. Um, but I do think it needs to go, um, and that. But I, I, I additionally think other changes need to be implemented, including maybe, um, you know, uh, either rescinding the twelfth amendment, or, um, and then and then creating a new amendment for how the vice president becomes elected. Right. Look, I, you know, there there are several options here, but one way or the other, I. I just think again, the electoral college is outdated, and I'm fine with the modification of it. I don't think that power sharing uh, idea is a bad one at all. But but clearly, because really, you know, you hear all the time about the red state, blue state divide. It's not really that. It's an urban versus rural. And mm -hmm. most of the population is in urban areas. But there's going to come a point, I think, where Americans living in these populated areas are going to start to really resent the fact that a smaller and smaller group of people are deciding the presidency as well as a lot of major laws. That's not good for our country. And I would say that if it were the reversal of, uh, you know, a small amount of Democrats deciding everything when the country was primarily Republican, which it isn't. So, again, I, you know, I don't know how far any efforts to really change the Electoral College would go, but you certainly feel like states are paving the way in, in some modifications. So I, I just hope that it's the beginning of a real conversation on it and a way to make it more fair to everybody because it's just not now. Yeah. You know, you know, looking at changes, I think, are, are, are vital. Um, you know, we can't be static in making America great again. You know, that whole idea of looking to the past or maintaining the status quo as being the element or even these constitutionalists that say it's a, you know, you know, precise um, uh, uh, translation of the uh, of the Constitution. We know courts have changed the Constitution. Things have changed. Um, we're at a certain system and it is what it is, but we have to look at how to adjust it. Um, speaking of that, um, the European Union was a step forward um, and then Brexit came along a couple of years ago. Um, still haven't been able to finish anything with that. And then there is a further, you know, the uh, it was supposed to happen. 
Um, and now that's going to be delayed. And, you know, there was a two million vote on a uh, online thing where folks just don't want to uh, uh, have Brexit anymore. We've talked about it on this podcast. I think lost in translation a lot of times is the influence of Russian meddling on the Brexit vote initially. Um, and, and so, you know, w- what do you feel they're at now? To me, I, I, I kind of get the feeling that it might never happen. Well, you you may not be wrong on that. Now, the EU recently gave Theresa May and the British government until, I believe it's April 12th, uh, to to come up with a deal that's suitable for a final exit. And so far, attempts that May has made at Parliament have, um, you know, as the British might say, come a cropper. You know, they have not worked. And... Yeah, you know, there was an interesting BBC article that mentioned several, you know, numerous options, including maybe just a softer version of Brexit, uh, maybe where they wouldn't fully leave, but they'd leave some things. But I, you know, I know the EU, from what I've read and seen over the years, has said, no, you're either in with us or you're not. Yeah, we're not. You can't just pick and choose what you want to do with this organization or this, you know, this governmental body. Um, and and so May has gotten some breathing room, but you know, if you read some articles from other British politicians who are actually kind of horrified with how she's handling this, and of course May's conservatives are no longer the dominant group in Parliament. They got their uh, um, you know thrashing, but good two years ago in major elections, and it's only because she's got the support of a far right Northern Ireland party that May really has much of any power at all, and of course. You know, I hate to bring up this dynamic, but it's the same one similar to the Trump supporting movement in this country. It's mainly older, whiter British voters who are uncomfortable with a lot of social change, among other things. And yes, I, I will say as somebody who's traveled in Europe and and has seen some of the more annoying kind of facets and, and regulations within the European Union, I don't blame certain countries for not being thrilled with everything and wanting to make a change. And another thing that should be brought up, it should, you know, a few years ago, before the Brexit vote, the British government had gone to the European Commission saying, look, you know, there's just a growing disenchantment with being a member of the EU. Can we find a way to maybe to work out a better arrangement for us where we're still a full member? The EC shut them down, and that was a stupid thing for that body to do. Mm-hmm. That, Nevertheless, you know, we know that there's, it's probably no, probably little doubt the Russians meddled in the Brexit election as well. Um, and I just, I think Theresa May is really running out of options here. Uh, and and this could very well enter as prime minister if this keeps on going without any real legitimate kind of deal that's, let's exit the European Union, okay, that divorce is final, without wrecking their country's economy. And just the long-term damage that this could do on the diplomatic front. I mean, it's they're, they're basically saying now there's an article in CNN that the Brexit so far has is costing you know the UK economy a billion dollars a week, and it could get much worse. I'm sure you've heard the stories of the stockpiling mm-hmm. medicines and food, because like with us in Mexico and Canada, you know the UK is doing millions of, of pounds of, of worth of transactions every day. With its neighbors across the North Sea, with the, I'm sorry, without the English Channel, not really the North Sea, <laughs> but you know, I just it could have all kinds of devastating consequences for people in the United Kingdom in terms of, of their job prospects and everything else. Again, it's just it, you know, day after day when you read about that they still the British government has not come up with a good enough alternative that's really going to work. It's it's. Again, I, I just I have to say a lot of the blame for this now is on Theresa May. Even though in the beginning she didn't back this Brexit, but she's become stubborn to a point of it's almost a Trumpian like irrationality. Which yeah, you never would have expected from her. She's yeah. been nothing in the past but a fairly pragmatic politician but I, you know that's gone for now yeah you know i think it's really interesting what may has been doing with the idea that uh, the referendum was passed and it is um undoubtable that they have to go through with it um and and as we know it's not actually binding because it doesn't take away the power of parliament to do its work and right. you know so it, it it becomes i think there is no 
corresponding Mueller investigation going on in the UK over what happened in that in that Brexit election. So, you know, I think that right. that's one of the issues that I think may didn't face right off. And I think there was probably political reasons why they didn't want to do that. But, you know, you know, to challenge that, you know, the validity of the referendum has to be something that I think, you know, gets talked about at some point and whether, you know, and I think we had talked about it on this podcast, they voted for that referendum, not knowing really what the deal was going to be. Um, and so how can you stick so hard to following that referendum, knowing what you know now, what the ramifications are, which they didn't right. know then? And there might be right. a different end, even if even if there was no meddling, the end could be different now because people realize what a rigmarole this whole thing is going to be. Um, and, and so there has to be some discussion and not just saying, well, you know, we had one referendum and it has to be it. And, and, that, and that's all there is to it. It seems, um, you know, like you got blinders on. Um, and, and that's not a way to govern. Um, no, I, I agree. I mean, again, you know, if, if frankly, if it were me, Theresa May say, look, it's time to hold a new referendum. Make sure there aren't bots, there aren't Russian hackers, anybody with malicious intent involved as best you can. If it passes with flying colors, then obviously the British people really have spoken and they want this. But if it goes down, you know what? You stay in the EU, you know what you do? Then you really have heart-to-heart talks with the European Commission and other EU nations to find ways to maybe change some regulations or fix some things so everyone is happier with the whole marriage of this continent and its English, or, you know, English, Scottish, Irish cousins, you know, because, you know, in the long run, it's not good for the European Union for the UK not to be a member either. Both right. sides are going to lose here. Right. Although I think it'll be the UK that loses more. And so it's, again, this has just been another sort of jaw-dropping, you know, tragedy when you mm-hmm. consider how this all went down and there seems to be no way out at the moment. Yeah. Except just, you know, accepting that it's over and that uh, you should stay together because that's the biggest thing. You know, when you, when I think when governments come together to work together, um, them separating is always usually a bad idea. Um, you know, especially when it's for good reasons, not to wage war, um, say for the, like the Axis powers. Um, but when you're doing it for economic strength, um, you're doing it for mutual defense, um, the, the, usually those things are good reasons and, and you shouldn't get out of them and they only cause you additional woe. Um, you know, quickly before we end our podcast, um, you know, there was a tragedy that happened, um, in New Zealand, um, you know, 50 people, I think, um, now is final what it was. It was 49 to begin with. I think it's gone up to 50 and, and, and stayed there. Thank goodness it hasn't grown. Um, an Australian in New Zealand decided to that uh, you know uh, mentioned Trump in his manifesto. Uh, uh, Jacinda Ardern, the uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand, thank goodness, has come out and said um, you know they're going to do certain uh, things. At least they're going to react in certain ways, not just say oh I hope it doesn't happen again. Um, you know, but it's it's the same issue I think that comes up again and again for me always is that um, you know. Although, you know, I don't um, have a stockpile of weapons, um, it, it, it becomes a situation for me that I know that when there's crazy people out there, they will find way to, ways to kill people. Um, I think, yes, you know, automatic and semiotic weapons sometimes help them get the job done sooner. But, you know, we all were, at least you and I were around to remember what happened at the federal building in Oklahoma City and the Murrah Federal, you know, federal Building access to weapons, but they used uh, a fertilizer bomb to take that building down. And, you know, crazy folks who, who want to kill a lot of people um, will find a way to do it one way or the other. And and so, you know, I think, you know, I was thinking about the this idea before we got together here, but I think, you know, the biggest thing to, you know, take out of this is, although I think, you know, it's nice that New Zealand is discussing um, what's going on and what they're going to deal with, with their own um, you know, you know, weapons policy. Um, for us to think that that's going to, you know, you know, doing any sort of weapons bans is going to solve anything in the long run with people trying to kill each other, um, that that's a fallacy. And, and um, it doesn't say that it shouldn't be done. It just says that we can't be 
happy with just maybe taking that step at some point. And we have to realize that it's really, you know, you know, maybe a nature of, of, of what goes on and maybe we'll never be able to figure it out. But that has to be the fight is how you get people to never again resort to violence or blowing things up or shooting people in order to end. And I know that that you know, might be easier said than done because obviously a lot of these folks, especially that have done these mass shootings in the United States, keep thinking because of the um, some of this this crazy writing that's gone on, and they've basically said if you start this, then all of a sudden it'll create a you know, race war, a uh, culture war. Uh, it goes back to you know um, uh, the, uh, Charles Manson and beyond. Um, people were thinking that if I just go out and kill these people, then everyone else will decide to go out and kill people. Uh, and usually that doesn't end up happening. I mean, you know, you might have one or two copycats, but people aren't doing those sorts of things on mass. Um, and but it's it's really ridding that from um, our human culture so that these things don't happen again, um, because they will no matter what they try to do. Um, you know, it's just this thought that, you know, killing people is going to solve something which never seems to actually happen. Well, I think another issue in this, which, again, I there's no easy answer to this, the alleged shooter. Uh, was apparently a white nationalist, and I haven't read his manifesto. I've, you know, read some excerpts of it, or but he clearly had a problem with Muslims, um, and it's part of this sick movement that has taken hold in this country and and in parts of Europe, in Canada to a lesser degree, and now I guess apparently, you know, there are some followers in Australia or New Zealand. Um, I, I guess it's part of a greater problem of insecurity among certain groups who feel, again, they're, they're intimidated by social change. You know, they don't like the, the society that we're there in is not dominated by them any longer. Yeah. And, you know, I've said this before a million times, you can pass all the laws you want, but people have hatred in their hearts and bad attitudes. That's, that's just not an easy thing yeah. to fix. Yeah, and, and uh, certainly this bastard needs to be rot, you know, locked up forever in prison if he indeed is the shooter and is found guilty. I confess I don't exactly know how New Zealand's justice system works. I want to say uh, you have to just commend the the uh, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, who definitely seems like an international leader to watch. She's very young and uh, bright. Um, you know, immediately, and again, I understand where you're coming from on the weapons ban, but that she could do this and get support from the opposition uh, leaders in her country is incredible. It just shows a maturity on behalf of, of that country and how New Zealanders have gone to Muslim ceremonies to show support and say, you know, this, this scumbag is mm-hmm. not us. He's mm-hmm. not going to define us. And you saw that in Norway mm-hmm. eight years ago when Andres Brevik who's now also in prison forever, as he should be, we hope, uh, you know, tried to disrupt Norwegian society. And I remember their leader saying the only way to, to you know, answer to those who try to harm democracy is to respond with more democracy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, if nothing else, you've just seen people in that nation really unite and understand what they have to do next. Yeah. It's, right, right. But it's, it is still just an, an awful crime Oh, yeah. I was actually in Texas, you know, this past week, I, and I tend to tune out news of all kinds when I am on a little break. Of course, I saw that in my email, and my heart just dropped. dropped yeah. Uh, again, I just, God bless the victims and the people of New Zealand, and uh, may this, you know, we say this, of course, may it never happen again. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's just two final points I want to make on it is that, you know, basically what, You know, what it comes down to with me as far as like even a weapons ban is I, you know, that's where the libertarian in me comes out. I I have a problem with banning usually anything because I know what the result ends up being. And so then you'll just have an underground black market that, that, you know, some, you know, you know, every, every time you try to ban something, there's people out there who, you know, almost to a certain level, it's. Because it's banned, they want to get in into it even more because that's also human nature. But it's just not a, you know, it's usually not the best way to go about it. High high regulation to me is about as far as I ever want to go with anything um, just because we know what happens when you ban things. 
um, then 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 it goes somewhere else. But the second part is, I think, even though, yeah, we can admit that there's a problem with white supremacy, especially in this country, and we don't have to even look very far than to look at a no, synagogue no. shooting or look what goes on in New Zealand or, you know, uh, what happened after September 11th, even here in Arizona, where, you know, a Sikh was killed because some idiot didn't know the difference between a Sikh and a Muslim. Um you know, so we know that that occurs, but it also occurs in other areas just as irrationally. Um, you know, Jews and Arabs, um, you know, um, Arabs hating the West, um, you know, and so it's just this general idea, I think, that, that, that you know, killing innocent people solves a damn thing um, is, is just the biggest issue I think we have to face as a, as a people. Um, as a race, because, you know, and really we are all just the human race, no matter what anyone wants to, um, uh, you know, put in some kind of crazy manifesto. Um, you know, we're all together in this thing. Um, so, you know, we got to find ways to, to solve our differences and come to terms with them without resorting to punching, let alone, um, you know, you know, let alone punching, but uh, definitely not killing people. Um, and I think, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, in every corner of the globe, at every different angle and every different possibility, and not one of them is worse than the other, um, um, because they're still we're still talking low numbers here. You know, we're talking Nazi Germany in the 30s and 40s. That was one that's you know goes above beyond any other. Um, but right now, it just seems like there's pockets of craziness everywhere, and it's all unacceptable. And you know, I just in in you know, I just don't know that that banning usually ever ends up solving anything. That if somebody who's going to want to kill people, they'll find a way. As we know, anybody who deals with weapons, taking a semi-automatic rifle and turning it fully automatic is not very hard. Especially when you're talking about getting, having an AR-15 or, you know, what then becomes an M16. Um, and I don't know if banning an M16 is even possible. Um, there still will be a market for them. And there's thousands, if not millions of them in the United States. So, you know, how do you how do you really get beyond that? I don't know. I just don't, you know, it's not as simple as that. Um, and, and, you know, I just think we need to, you know, I, I don't know. Let's let's all get a little bit of a Ringo star in us. That's the way I kind of feel about it. You ever see any interviews at Ringo? He just talks about love all the time. And there's got to be some right. love for our fellow humans. Um, but that's basically all I got on that one. I, I'm about done because it just really saddens me. Yeah, I mean, again, these people were doing nothing wrong except worshiping at the place of yeah. their choosing. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, and they, people you know, like worshiping. Mass shooting. I, I just, I was going to say, I'm sorry, just that, you know, people in Vegas just wanted to go to a concert. Yeah. People in uh, the Colorado town, no, excuse me, want to see a movie. Or kids in, in Columbine, Columbine, they just were going to high school. I, there is, there are, it, mass shootings are just such incredible violations against normal decent society. Look, anybody being killed unjustly, but you see because you're seeing one country takes uh, some action. Now, one can take issue with it, but I'd say, you know, unless you're living in New Zealand, you know, that's their business. It's not yours. And uh, you can have an opinion of it, but it's still just fascinating how quickly the prime minister can make a decision and have support from those who may not agree with her politically. It's astonishing. Well, Karen, you know, let's leave it on a high note and hope that we don't see any um, for decades um, or ever again. I, I you know, because, uh, you know, I say decades because I, you know, don't think that human beings will ever be able to, you know, there's going to be that random um, anomaly that it goes on. And that's really what they are. And, you know, I think it, 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 it puts ripples throughout our, our society when these negative things happen, but we still have to understand that these are still very isolated incidents. Most human beings are great people who, who, you know, whatever their prejudices, they're not going to go out and kill or, you know, you know, physically maim anybody. We are basically a peaceful people and there are anomalies out there, but it's, it's a perpetual battle, I think, you know, and, it was, you know, goes kind of back to the same, you know, when I, when the whole Me Too movement dropped um, first, I was just like, hey, let's, you know, let's let's get this uh, murdering thing uh, out of the way. We've been working on that for thousands of years. Um, still yeah. haven't solved that one. Let's uh, 
let's get this one done. Um, and you know, not to, you know, you know, take anything away from, you know, from that, but, um, you know, thinking about harassment or being murdered while you're, while you're, um, um, you know, praying, I think are, 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 are two different things and, you know, not to excuse one or the other, but, um, golly, um, you know, 50 people dying, um, while they're in a house of worship is just, um, horrible. Um, and, you know, we still can't get rid of it. So let's, let's make that our daily, our daily affirmation, (laughs) make sure that, um, you know, there's any, everywhere around the world, everybody make sure that there's not going to be a mass murder that day. Maybe we can fake, you know, finish it. Right. Karen? It's, again, it's just the, the end of a, yet another, you know, mind-boggling week for not only our country, but for the world. Karen, I want to thank you again. Always, it's great talking to you, great talking politics. I learn every, uh, you know, something every time I speak with you. I'm sure everyone else does, too. So thanks again for joining me for Political Profundity. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for the opportunity. And above all, I, I really appreciate those out there listening and and uh, it, 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 you know, it's an important thing. <laughs> so also, yeah, to all the listeners, stay tuned. Hopefully maybe ne- early next week when we uh, actually see what the release Mueller report from Bill Barr is, we will get to it and talk about it. Uh, maybe do a five points on it, something like that. Um, hope to talk to you all and, and, and for you for, to hear from us next week. Thanks again, Karen. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll talk to you all next time. Thank you.